0: Section 12 of Great Pirate Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patrick McAfee. Great Pirate Stories by Various. Edited by Joseph Lewis French. Section 12. Narrative of the capture of the ship Derby, 1735. Captain Anselm. I fell in with the land of Madagascar, the latitude of about 24 degrees 13 minutes north, and some time before I had made it, I met with nothing but light airs of winds and calms, and continued so long. My people dropping down with the scurvy, I took a small still that I had and distilled salt water into fresh. I allowed them as much peas and flour as they could eat, that they might not eat any salt provision, though I boiled it in fresh water. I had been very liberal with my fresh provision in my passage to my people, and the passage so long that I had hardly any left and that only a few fowls and myself and officers too had been much out of order at last being got to the northward of augustine bay seeing my poor people fall down so very fast it gave me very great concern for them but still was willing in hopes of change of wind for johanna but the small airs trifled with me and what there were northerly a current settling to the southward, that what to do I could not well tell. To go into Augustan Bay, I was very unwilling. I had two boats came off to me, the people talking tolerable good English. At last my doctor, Sharp, told me there were above thirty people down with the scurvy, and all the rest. Even some of the petty officers were touched with the same. If I did not soon put into port, I plainly found I should have been in a bad condition for men. I consulted with my officers to go into Augustine Bay, and we agreed and bore away for it. Soon after, the wind came southerly, and I bore away for Johanna. A fine passage I had, and anchored the next day, about four in the afternoon, being September 13th, I thank God I brought all my people in alive, and that inasmuch as I can say of a good many of them, I had a tent made ashore for them, and supplied them all that ever I could, and the doctors assisting with everything in their way for their speedy recovery. After I had been here a fortnight, the winds in the daytime set in very fresh from the north-northwest to the north-northeast finding the people recover so very slowly, what to do I could not tell. To go out with my people, as bad as when they came in, I was not willing, but resolved to have patience one week more. I consulted with Mr. Rogers, my chief mate, and told him that we must consider the condition of the people, and how we met the winds and currents before we came in. The people of the island told me "'that this was about the time of year "'for the northerly winds and southerly currents, "'and I told them I thought it better "'to trim all our casks "'and fill what water we could, "'fearing of a long passage, "'if our stay was a little longer. "'Mr. Rogers was of my opinion. "'This, I must say, "'I found the cask "'not so well used in the hold, "'as they ought to have been, "'which caused the coopers more work,' Neither did I make a little noise about it, because I had more words with my chief and second mate about my third and fourth mate than anything else. Having all my water aboard, about eighty ton, twenty-five head of oxen, etc., I sailed the thirteenth of October, with several of my men not recovered, some I buried at Johanna, and some after, to the number of ten, or thereabouts, Having a fine gale, I made all the sail I could, except studding sails, which I thought needless. The wind veered to the northward, and I was resolved to make the Malabar course as soon as possible, for the advantage of the land and sea winds. I had one passenger aboard, a sad, troublesome, wicked fellow, whose behavior was so bad that I could hardly forbear using him ill. I forbid my officers keeping company with him, but Mr. B. would do it at all events. I turned him once off the quarter-deck for being with him there, yet that did not avail. I came out one night about half an hour past ten, my second mate's watch, and this B.'s turn to sleep, and seeing a light in his cabin, I sent Mr. Cudden, the second mate, to him to know how he would be able to sit up one watch and keep his own. Upon this, B came up halfway the steerage ladder with his pipe in his hand and talked to me very pertly. And that was not the first time. This put me into a passion to be so talked to by a boy that I did dismiss him for two or three days and then restated him, which was more than he deserved, for keeping company with him for whom the worst of names is good enough, and those who recommended him to his commission. B. was told of this by Mr. Rogers, by my orders, and I told him of it on the quarter-deck, and told him at the same time I was resolved to tell the gentlemen at home of him, and asked him what he imagined they would think of him for keeping such swearing, drunken company. This was before I dismissed him. Before I came in with the land, hearing much talk of Angria by Captain Scarlet and Mr. Rogers, and of his great force, for I had very little notion of him before, I took care to put the ship in a proper posture of defense, powder chests on the quarter-deck, poop and forecastle. A puncheon filled with water in the main top a hogshead in the foretop and a barrel in the mizzen top all filled with water chests with good coverings in the tops for granado shells all the small arms with 50 new ones in readiness my ship being too deep to get the gun room's ports open as the gunner informed me the ship sending and the sea washing above the tops of the ports, I got those guns into the into the great cabin, quarter bills over the guns, the rewards and close quarters, etc., at the mizzenmast, shot lockers and shot in their proper station, plugs for shot holes and everything that I could think of, and gave particular orders to my gunner, carpenter, and boatswain to have everything in their way, in readiness. The two lower yards flung with the top chains. Not being easy in my mind about these gunroom stern ports, I sent Mr. Rogers, it being smooth water, to open one of the gunroom stern ports to see if we could, on occasion, get guns out there. But he brought me word it could not be done with safety, the ship being so deep. A few days before I made the land the winds used to veer and haul that offing in an hour I could hardly up from east northeast to southeast, but the winds chiefly kept to the northward. I was very desirous to make the land, not knowing how far the southwest currents might set me to the westward. At noon, being december twelfth, I made the land of Goa in the latitude of fifteen degrees north. My chief mate wanted me to go into Goa, but I was resolved not, but to make the best of my way for Bombay. The next morning, having a fine six-knot gale, about nine o'clock, Mr. Rogers told me he saw Garia, and desired me to haul further offshore, and said, if Angria and his grabs Should see us in his river, he would send them out after us. I asked him if his grabs came out of sight of land. He told me they were afraid to do that, fearing the Bombay vessels should get between them and the shore, and keep them out of their ports. To prevent running into danger, I kept out of sight of land. I thought it better to do so, since it would make but a few days' difference in getting at Bombay making no doubt I should get there the last of the month, as doubtless we should if we had not met with our sad misfortune. When it was too late, I was acquainted by those taken in the Severn that Mr. Rogers informed me wrong, for Angria sometimes keeps the shore aboard and sometimes goes directly out to sea sixty leagues off. It was too late to reflect, neither could I blame myself, knowing I had done everything to the best of my judgment. But had I been better informed, it is my opinion we might have escaped those cursed dogs by keeping in shore and taken the advantage of the land and sea winds. I have since repented that we did not go into Goa, but God knows whether a man goes too fast or too slow, for I had certainly a very suitable cargo for that place, but my earnest desi- desire was to get to Bombay, the season of the year being far advanced. December 26, being my second mate's morning watch, about five o'clock he came to me and told me he saw nine sail of galivats. I got up and found them to be five top-mast vessels, and four gallivots, not above two miles from us, I ordered all hands to be called, and down with the cabins in the steerage, which was done in an instant, and everybody to their respective quarters. They came up with us apace, having but light airs of winds, and found them to be Angria's fleet. I had the transom in the great cabin, and the balcony in the roundhouse cut away, for traversing the stern chase guns. They came up with me very boldly within pistol shot. Before six they began firing upon us, throwing their shot in at our stern, raking us afore and aft. I ordered everything to be got ready for going about, to give them my broadside, when my chief mate, Mr. Rogers, and my third mate, Mr. Burroughs, came to me and begged that I would not put about for if I did, they would certainly board us. As to my part, being a stranger to this coast and Angria, knowing my chief mate had been off in this way, and my third mate had sailed in the galleys, I was over-prevailed upon not to tack about. As the enemy kept under my stern, playing their shot, in very hot upon us, and destroying my rigging so fast, I soon after endeavored to wear the ship upon the enemy, but the wind dying away to a calm, she would not regard her helm, but lay like a log in the water. By eight o'clock most of my rigging was destroyed, and the long boat, taking fire astern, was forced to cut her away. The yawl being stove by their shot, we launched her overboard. By nine, the top chain that flung the mainyard was shot away with gear and gear blocks. The mainyard came next down, with the sails almost torn to pieces with the shot. As fast as our people knotted and spliced the rigging, it was shot away in their hands. The water tubs in the tops were shot to pieces, and the boatswain's mate's legs shot off in the main top. One of the foremastmen's leg was shot off, in the foretop, and one wounded. By ten, the mizzenmast was shot by the board. Wanting people to cut the mast rigging, etc., from her side, found them appear very thin upon deck, and desired my younger mates to drive them out of their holes. Word was then brought me that my chief mate's leg was shot off, but that he was in good heart, and this time. It was a calm, and our guns of the broadside of no service, not being able, during the engagement, to bring one gun to bear upon them. They kept throwing their shot so thick in at our stern with a continual fire, and we returned it as fast as we could load and fire. About one, my mainmast was shot by the board, and the fall of that stove, the pinnace on the booms. The loss of my mainmast gave me a very great concern, and seeing the condition of the foremast, the foreyard halfway down, and the topsail yardum sprung in several places, the head of the top-gallant mast shot away, rendered that mast quite useless. I could not see which way it was in the power of men to save us from these dogs. however, I made myself. As easy as could be expected and kept my thoughts to myself though the shot were like hail about my ears i thank god i escaped them neither did they give me much uneasiness as to my person the grabs perceiving their great advantage by the fall of our mainmast etc though all the time before within musket shot come up boldly within call throwing in at our stern double round and partridge as fast as they could load and fire. We doing the same with bolts, etc. We saw a great many holes in their sails. Soon after this they lodged two double shot and a large stone in the foremast, the shrouds of which were mostly gone. I often sent Captain Scarlet to Mr. Cudden to encourage the people, and to take care to cool his guns, and not fire in haste, but take good aim. We received two double-headed shot in the bread-room, which were soon plugged up, and one shot under the larboard chest-tree, but so low in the water that could not get at it, and the ship proved leaky. I had a pack of sad, cowardly, ignorant dogs as ever came into a ship. As to my common sailors, who were not above twelve seamen, with the officers, they stood by me, It was all owing to my misfortune on the mouse that I was so poorly manned. As to my third mate, B, he did not seem to stomach what he was about. He was sometimes on the quarter-deck, not being able to use any guns but the stern chase, and every shot the enemy fired he cowardly trembled with his head almost down to the deck. This Captain Scarlet has often declared to the gentlemen at Bombay and before those that are now coming home, I had six men killed and six their legs shot off, with several others wounded by their partridge shot, etc. Had our people kept the deck like men, there must have been several more killed and wounded. About three, I heard a great call for shot. "'and desired Captain Scarlet to go to Mr. Cudden "'and tell him not to fire in waste. "'We lay now just like a wreck in the sea "'and at our wits' ends. "'Our shot being almost spent, "'we had a hole cut in the well "'to try to come at the companies. "'We continued on with double round and partridge and bolts, etc., "'with a double allowance of powder to each gun.' "'doing the utmost we could to save the ship. "'The tiller rope was now shot away, "'though of no service before. "'The carpenter told me the ship made a great deal of water "'and had above two foot in her hold. "'The caulker afterwards told me she had three foot. "'I saw nothing we could do more than firing our stern chase. "'There was a sad complaint for shot. "'However, we fired bolts.' I called out to the people to have good hearts, and went into the roundhouse to encourage them there. It was very hard we could stand no chance for a mast of theirs, nor no lucky shot to disable some of them, in all the number that we fired. As to our small arms, they were of little service, they keeping their men so close, the rigging of the foremast being gone, and that fetching so much way I expected it to go every minute, and about seven in the evening, the ship falling off into the trough of the sea, the foremast came by the board. It was now about four o'clock when Mr. Thomas Rogers, my chief mate, sent my steward to desire to speak with me. When I went to him, he spoke to me in this purpose. "'Sir,' says he, "'I am informed what condition the ship is in. "'As her masts are gone,' you had better not be obstinate in standing out longer. It will only be the means of making more objects, of murdering more men, and all to no purpose, but to be used worse by the enemy, for it is impossible to get away. Therefore you had better surrender. To the best of my knowledge, I hardly made him any answer, nor had I, before he sent to me the least thoughts of surrendering, which I declare before God and man, though I was well convinced within myself that it was impossible to save the ship. I went up to my old station, the quarter-deck, and took several turns, as usual, and proceeded in the engagement. I begun to consider what Mr. Rogers told me and the condition of the ship, and argue within myself the impossibility of doing any more for if a gale had sprung up, it could be of no service. And all the time from the fall of our mainmast, the enemy were got so near, that I could hear them talk, and my second mate did the same. As to our masts, they had gained their ends, and their only business now was to fire at the hull. There was no hopes of their leaving us, considering the condition they had brought us to, and it could not be long before we sunk, for as they lay so near us, and so low in water, our shot must doubtless fly over them. At last I was of Mr. Rogers' opinion that it was only sacrificing the men to no purpose, for they had so large a mark of us, they could not miss us, and during all the engagement, as they played their shot, so hot at our stern, it is surprising there were not many more men killed. I then sent for my second and third mate, and told them Mr. Rogers' opinion, and my own. They both agreed to it and consented to the surrendering of the ship. So we submitted to the enemy, finding it in vain to proceed. By my watch, it was five o'clock. My second and third mate went into the steerage to forbid firing, and myself in the roundhouse did the same. Everybody seemed to be very well satisfied as to the surrendering part, and no objection was made colors we had none to strike those in the ensign staff were shot to pieces and what was left of the ensign being made fast to the main shrouds went with the mast. Captain Scarlett went into the roundhouse and called the enemy on board and told them we had no boats. They sent their dinghy aboard with four men for me and my chief officers. They left two of the four aboard the Derby. "'Myself and my second mate went in the dinghy aboard the grab. "'We were gone an hour and a half good, if not more. "'Then we returned in a galavat with fifty or sixty men, "'but not a soul went aboard the derby till we returned. "'Then came aboard more galavats and more men, "'and secured the arms, etc., and drove our people up, "'some to the pumps and some to clear the rigging off the ship's side.' They transkipped to their grabs what treasure could be got at, and the next day turned out the remainder with myself, Scarlet, Cudden, the two ladies, and my servants into one of the grabs. End of Twelve Narrative of the Capture of the Ship Derby Recording by Patrick McAfee, Chicago GIS.depaul.edu slash P.